Psst. Hey, you. Want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description. Like people are not buying your product. They're buying you. They're buying your reason why. And so if you can't define your reason why, or if you can't, you know, articulate that, not just visually from a brand identity, but but in, in language, then you're missing out on your core audience. You're missing out on, on exactly who you're trying to reach. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of operations one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Cafone, and today's guest is Sage Randall, Chief Operating Officer of Sixth Avenue Storytelling and the co-founder of Hire Women Week, which is all about, as you guessed it, getting women hired. Now, Sage and I have a lot of similarities within our background, which made it really fun to talk about. Um, And obviously, we talk about women getting hired. We talk about our backgrounds as operators, but we also dive into the world of marketing because as a marketing executive, she's married all of these worlds into one. So get your notebooks and let's dive in. Sage, welcome to Secret Ops. Thank you for it's having me. It's so lovely. Me. Yay! I'm really, I'm really excited, um, partially because when I was looking at your background, like most operators, you come from all of these mixed mediums, including having been a marketing executive, an operational executive as a COO. So you've got these like powerhouse specializations that are not always known to be married to each other, which yeah. I've got a million questions on. Um, but outside of all of these different roles and, and leadership aspects that you've done, a common thread has really been about culture building and storytelling and uh, most importantly, getting women hired. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> um, so to kick this off before we go totally nerdy on operational and marketing uh, questions, can we talk about Hire Women Week, which you co-founded um, in 2021? Uh, talk about what brought it to life? How has it been since getting it started? Yeah, so so I started actually um, in, I feel like the end of 2020, around that time, uh, a, a really good friend of mine that I grew up with named Kelsey Stevens. We went to high school together. We were in theater together. We were like, you know, we just have known each other for 20 years. And uh, she came into town and she was like, you know, I, I have this company I'm working on called Ladybird Talent. And I'm really looking for a partner. I'm looking for someone to help me grow the community. She's like, and one of the things I really want to do is hire women week. I want to do a week every year that's like our rally cry for hiring managers, for companies, for candidates um, to get more women hired, but also to talk to women about, you know, how, how do you move up into directorial and executive levels? You know, there's such a broken run when it comes to moving up the ladder, especially for women. So how do you reach over? How do you push forward? So giving giving advice to candidates, giving advice to hiring managers on how do you create um, you know, unbiased hiring practices? How do you bring in talent that's going to tell a robust story? Um, and you know, just so you don't have a homogenous team. And why is that important? And so in May of 2021, we launched Hire Women Week. That was our first year. And we had we we also have done this extremely organically. We put very little spend behind it. So the first year we had, I believe, over a thousand RSVPs to the event. Um, really wonderful. That's a good amount it for really the first was. year. And Absolutely. Not, not putting any spend behind it. So, you know, it became really clear in year one, there is a need for this. There is a, like, there is a community for this. We're ready to tap into it. So year one, we, you know, hosted it virtually. We had a lot of great speakers and panels, and then we did a few, you know, in-person events. Um, and then uh, that was also, you know, right at the tail end of COVID. So we had this amazing, you know, women in tech wine night where we all got together, talked about our dreams and how we're going to change the world. And then we all got COVID and it was like, so worth it. It was so worth it. It was like total magic. We talk about the night all the time. It was like everything started coming together. And then we had to like, you know, sleep for two weeks, basically. So then last year, you know, was our, was our second year in 2023 this year. Has been has been such a a hard year for talent for tech. There's been so many layoffs. You know, I think it, in an unexpected way, we started ramping up for Hire Women Week, and then all of these layoffs started happening. And it's like, how how do we continue to push this mission forward, knowing that 
the talent market is, you know, where it is right now. And Bananas. So, yeah, yeah. And so we, we still had amazing turnout. We added in mentorship matchmaking. Um, we added in uh, job fair. So we had, I think we had over 400 posts on our job board listed uh, for open roles. We did get some women hired. Um, I actually ended up hiring a woman through Hire Women Week that I've promoted to a creative director now at the agency that I work at. So um, still saw like a really, you know, really decent turnout, but try, tried to say like, okay, how do we continue to grow during times of economic strife? And how do we continue to push this mission when like companies that were were really gung-ho about DEI during COVID are now like, we don't have the money for it or it's not a priority. So we really started expanding upon our community and building that community up, um, started offering some you know online programs and courses for women as well. Just how do you accelerate your career? How do you promote yourself? How do you negotiate salaries? Providing some of those tools. And so- yeah, all the difficult things that are hard to talk about. Absolutely. And hard to overcome. And, and you know, the, and there's sure. additional challenges when being a woman also and in, in navigating. Absolutely. This Hire Women Week coming up next week. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. yeah, it's year three. I, I know. It's so exciting. Three is my lucky number, too. So I'm oh, really hey. biased. I know. Uh, right. Extra special magic. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> I'm taking it. Totally. Yeah. Um, what are some things that people should know about with the Hire Women Week this year? Yeah, so so this is our third year. Um, we have had such an amazing time doing in real life events that we're expanding to more cities this year, um, which is really exciting. So, um, and previous years we've you know done some events in DFW and Austin. We're based in Texas, um, and this year we're expanding out to Denver. Uh, we're doing an event in New York City with an amazing company called Expert Sessions, uh, and then some other events locally. So really excited about the expansion. Um, the uh, you know we have some amazing keynote speakers that are coming up. Hannah Williams from Salary Transparent Street is one of our keynote speakers. She was last year. If you if y'all don't Which follow her, go follow her. She's such like a fantastic name too. She's black. <laughs> she's like blowing up. I think she was just on the. Um, Forbes 30 under 30. And so she she wow. comes in and she, you know, talks about salary transparency and, and how that's important. Um, but the, you know, the big thing is this, this event is free. It is a free event. We want to provide as much accessibility as we can. We want as many women to come and join and and meet connections with hiring managers and find a mentor that can help move them forward and and get them involved in our talent collective and in our community because when hiring picks back up, which it will. Um, we're ready and we we want to make sure we're coming at that full force. And so I do think, you know, this year we're going to have a pretty nice uh, op opportunity for jobs and for and for connecting with hiring managers. But even just, you know, coming in and listening to some of these panels and and it's it's a virtual event other than the in, you know, in real life uh, events that we run. So it's super accessible. You can just like pop in on your lunch break um, and join an event and just hear some really impactful, powerful women talking about why you need to make more money, why you deserve to make more money. You know, we all want to talk about that. You know, how, how to, you know, we talk a lot about trans transferring industries. So, you know, we have a lot of people in our network, a lot of women who are like, I've been a teacher for, you know, years and I, I want to move into project management. I want to move into product management. And so we, we just have such a really great lineup of sessions coming up. I, I'm so excited uh, for it next week. And, and anybody can RS, RSVP and register. Registration is open and it will be open, so yeah. And we'll put it in the description field too, so join, see it. Even if you are not a woman and you wanna support women getting hired, Absolutely. also be aware of that as well, be able to share the opportunity. And, we, and you know, it's, it's really about promoting, you know, marginalized groups. So, you know, we focus on women, we focus on pushing women uh, into these roles, but, you know, we support non-binary, LGBTQ, we support, you know, uh, the Latinx, the, you know, a black African-American community, you know, all of that. So. So it's we just are about inclusivity and just, you know, creating equity in, in the hiring space. So. so you and I have both been in our careers for a while now, and I have felt that pain of going from more junior in my career to more mid-level to then being more senior. And the growing pains for me sucked uh, very hard <laughs> from, you know, pay transparency to pay equity to you know, even title equity with people who are at the same level that I am. Uh, in in your experience, was there a moment in your career that all of a sudden this really clicked for you? Uh, whether it was a moment where you're like, dang, I should be getting paid more or 
you know, I'm doing so much hard work. Or I'm taking so much ownership. I really should be at a more senior title that where this the idea became real within your life. Yeah. I, I, and I talk about this. I talked about this last year at Higher Women Week, actually. Um, the When I started talking to the women around me at my office, when we started dialoguing together and saying, okay, but how much do you make? And I see you work, you know, 80 hours a week. How, like, is that really right? Is that fair? And and it's like when we actually started just opening up the conversation to each other, we we found all of these lines of communication of, okay, we can come at this together. We can support this together. Like if, you know, Sage, you deserve a senior title and we, we need to get more money and, and you know, whatever, let's, let's do it as a group. Let's collectively support each other in that journey. And I think that's kind of what, what tipped me off is like, oh, like I, I have control. I have some control over um, my, you know, my my career journey, my ladder. I'm not just like reliant on somebody coming to me and saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to pay you a million dollars. And like, it doesn't work that way. Like you 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 have to. I wish. Of, yeah. Well, and I'm sure maybe it does for some. Maybe like, it will. I don't know. You know, some <laughs> man out there has been like, oh, wait a minute. That's my story. Um, <laughs> but I think I think it really was just like opening the line of communication with the other women around me that made me realize, like, I'm really good at what I do. And um, it's it's OK to fight for my my worth. And it's okay to also fight for my the worth and promote the worth of all of the other women around me, especially when I know from an operations perspective how much revenue we're bringing in, how how many how much sales we're managing. Like knowing, like, okay, well, we manage half of our entire portfolio. Yeah, can we get a little bump? <laughs> you know, like yeah, a little something here. Yeah, wait, wait. it's. It's so funny that you said talking to other women in the office because I feel like we were raised in the generation and probably from previous generations where you don't talk about money. You don't talk about your salary. But that's actually how I found out that I was being paid $20,000 less than an entry-level person at my same title. an entry-level person? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that made me have a big wake-up call because obviously there was something within the business that was a ride that would even happen. But also then I realized, man, I was really undervaluing my worth coming into the situation. I pitched my salary super low and yeah, I, they got me for a steal. Yeah. And the, the hard part was then I had to climb up the negotiation <laughs> ladder and I did get to that, that level, but it wasn't the first time that it happened in my career where I realized I was getting paid less than people of equal or same position as me. Um, it's a shitty story. Yeah. It's a common story. It's your common. Exactly. Yeah. The only way that I have found I've like gives me some way to sleep at night is knowing that within those businesses, I then eventually became a leader, helped those equity pay issues. Right. And again, it's never perfect. Right. But it was it was a hard lesson to learn. And it starts with talking to other women and with other people and peers. It doesn't need to be women, obviously. But sometimes that's where you feel safe to start talking about it. Hundred percent. And I think it's also that I think there, that's the difference in in women in leadership versus men in leadership. Not that I found amazing leaders in my life that have been men. I'm not saying men, you know, are bad leaders. I think they're great leaders in a lot of ways. I think the difference between a woman in leadership is we're coming from more of a place of empathy and understanding from the front end rather than just the cold hard fact. And, and I I see a lot of men and male allies changing. I think they're taking on more yeah, of like, it's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay for, for me to, um, you know, be honest and transparent and and not just, you know, play play the boss role. But I think women just intrinsically want to take care. We're, we're, we're tribal based, you know? And so, so it, yes, it, it's much safer. Like having a safe space that you can go and ask those questions and open up, even if it's just a peer um, it's game changing. And, and I, I, I work with a lot of little Gen Z gals, <laughs> or <laughs> little younger ladies. And, um, and, you know, I know by no means am I a perfect leader. I know I like I make mistakes, but I do try really hard to be just transparent and open with them. And, you know, when, when they come to me and they're like, I feel like I need to make, this is what I need to make. I'm like, well, let's talk it through together. Let's run a pay scale report. Let's have a conversation about your years of experience and where you can go and what that looks like rather than just saying no or <laughs> nah. we, don't, we don't have budget or yeah, it's not at your year. That is also, I think, part of uh, the process that once you become a leader or a manager, 
it opens up the world of like what kind of BS admin work goes into getting those raises, Yeah, which is, you know, that's its own challenge. And that's something that if you can understand the recruitment process, understand, you know, salary banding, salary transparency, you know, all of these different pieces, it does make you more empowered to say, am I getting paid my worth? Mm-hmm. based on information. Right. I didn't have that until I was probably my late 20s, early 30s to really have that um, information to know whether or not I was getting paid fair. So that would be, I guess, my like tip if we're talking about tips is if you think you should be getting paid more, first of all, you have so many tools, Glassdoor, I think LinkedIn has that too, that you can actually start to look at your qualifications and where it's in that range and then talk to someone senior that has done recruiting yes to understand potentially what's going on here if you feel like you aren't getting paid right and again that takes being vulnerable but that helped me a lot in the past to say like this feels wrong is it wrong match data with experience of other senior leaders and then i was able to say i think i am <laughs> yeah and 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 there are so many more tools like i mean and again that's why totally. that's why like salary transparent street and what hannah williams does is so it's so cool and powerful because she's brought it into this sort of digestible video content where it's like you can just scroll on TikTok and see what a travel nurse makes and what a construction worker makes and then go to the spreadsheet database and like look it up. Also, like so many states have started requiring salary listings on their job roles, which like, I'm, you know, hopefully that continues on, but it's so much easier to understand your market value than than it was before but i also wake up call too for businesses right if you've got to put down a number you better be firm with what you know like what that number is and it better be fair and it better be considered right i really am down with it (laughs) people i think are freaked out if they're not used to it oh to just like knowing what the salary put the number yeah like i think it's i i love it i've seen a lot of you know people who are in business, you know, decades longer than I have been. And it's just like, what? That's what we do now. But we don't talk about that. We don't talk about totally. Right. It holds the leaders accountable to making conscientious decisions about the salary range, making sure it's fair and making sure that it makes sense, which um, I think you and I are both on board with a thousand percent. (laughs) But it's also like, you know, it's 2023. We've all been through this collective COVID trauma. We've, we've been through layoffs, we've been through furloughs, we've been all through this crazy stuff. And it's like, if you want to retain talent and you want to attract talent and you want to, you know, create a culture of, um, uh, you know, of interest that people are going to want to con- continue and like, just tell them how much they're going to pay that. Like, it's such an easy, small thing that like sets such a great precedent for how your talent will view your company. Like it's so, it's just so simple, but it makes such a huge difference. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, again, Hire Women Week is starting next week. We'll put everything in the description. Please join virtually or in person. I know that Sage uh, and Kelsey would absolutely love to see you there and love to get feedback on it. Uh, now, I want to pivot to operations and marketing because uh, I will give you sort of a, a truth of mine, which is I suck at marketing. <laughs> it is the weakest part of my skill set that I have. And I am really into the fact that you've married operations and marketing together. What a powerful duo to combine. Where did that start? Like, did you start on the marketing front? Were you naturally inclined to do operations? Where did that bridge happen? Yeah, you know, I feel like that's the story of a lot of operations people is like, you never, you're not like, you're not a little girl, like dreaming of like, I'm going to be an operations director. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. <laughs> project manager, like nobody does that. Um, you just kind of fall into it. I actually, I think that this, I my, my journey and my education, my story is very unconventional. I really, I started in the service industry. I started bartending, working at salons, which I feel like set a huge precedent for me in operations. Like that was the first time I did a systems build was like building a salon POS. And like, that was the first time I had to manage people. And so it's like, I started seeing all of the different components that make up a successful company or that like move a business forward. I eventually um, moved into, I started working for a freelancer. I've always really worked for small business. I love mom and pop. 
I've, I have done some corporate and some, you know, sort of international agency stuff, but um, I love the mom and pop. So I started working for a freelance market researcher and he was like, I want to build a farm. He's like, I don't want to be a market researcher anymore. I want to, I want to hire people and I want to do it. So we like sat in a coffee shop for like six months and we like built his company and we like hired a team and we like brought people in and we got an office in downtown Dallas. And so that was the first time that I really like, I took, I feel like all of these sort of, you know, jack of all trade skills I'd learned in hospitality into business operations and learned even more, you know, worked in an incubator space and like, but also I think when you're working for small business and, and I'm sure you relate to this, just running this podcast and doing what you do, you wear every hat, you do everything. Absolutely. You, so, you know, I was managing the bookkeeping and like, you know, keep keeping up with our clients and spreading all that. But I was also like, building the website and like running our social media account. <laughs> and so I, so I, I, um, you know, had been in school for business and admin. I had this job, this company was growing and I was like, I'm actually not going to finish my bachelor's degree. I never finished it. I was like, I'm already doing what I really want to be doing. And I have like the breadth of knowledge. I don't really want to spend more money on an on like a on thousands that, of dollars oh yeah i want to yeah. be more invested in, in this this you know real tangible like learning experience so i so i had you know had focused a lot in marketing what really and what really happened is after i launched that company troubadour research we you know i, I left them in a in an office in downtown dallas and we grown so much uh, that i took on a job at a marketing agency and they brought me on as an account executive so someone that you know, runs the projects, runs the timeline, meets with the clients, like everything I'd already been doing. But it, um, it opened up a world of marketing. I just learned everything about marketing. I learned about every marketing channel. I worked with, you know, follow the sun model offshore teams. I worked with developers. I worked with designers. I did, you know, international photo shoots. It was like boot camp for marketing. And and I eventually moved into project manager role with that agency and then a senior project manager role. Um, and so I really honed my operational skills. Um, it's kind of com- complex. I want to break it down how it worked. I'd love I, that. I think that's another reason why I, I learned as much as I did so fast. So I, I, the agency I worked for is a company called Tag Worldwide. They're an international marketing agency. They have huge clients. And I worked on site at Alcon Pharmaceuticals. So I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Alcon, like, you know, does contact lenses and, you know, eye drops and, you know, eye surgeries, like that kind of thing. So they probably had like a hundred different brands on site that we were supporting on in different marketing efforts. So I have this layer of like, I work for this agency, but I'm also a contractor on site at internally. And then Alcon had been purchased by PLS Novartis, which is, was another big oh, company. Yeah. And so I had this other level of Novartis PLS and all of their internal marketing services. So I like worked with all of these different teams and all That's of these. That's a lot of tiers of. <laughs> really hard to explain. Like it was never easy to explain. They were like, who are you with? I'm like, I'm like <laughs> everybody. everybody. Yeah. But <laughs> when I worked, when I got to work with Novartis and PLS, like they had this huge internal marketing organization, which was PLS, the product lifecycle systems. And I, I ended up working really closely with their Dublin office and that I feel like working with that team. I don't know. I think it was just those people. I think it was like, I just connected with the right people. I ended up meeting um, our, our operations head. His name is Alex Hogarty. And he just like, I just feel like he taught me everything about systems and how like objects are connected and why they're connected and, and why we like pull the data from these objects and why like it feels so tedious to track your time. And it feels so tedious to fill out these custom fields, but ultimately we can create these beautiful data visualizations and really show all the internal metrics that you're missing out on. Like, so like there's so much ROI and, and metric tracking, like outwardly and like, what's our performance and what, you know, how are, how, what's our revenue? What's all of that. But when you start looking internally, like, okay, well, everybody's burnt out or our, our resources are completely, you know, overstretched and overstimulated and our, you know, our cost per head doesn't make any sense. And this might, you know, like there's so much more internal data that I think gets just left behind because people don't know how to, how to u- utilize that kind of system. And that's what I learned from them. 
And so, wow. yeah, so it was like I was That's learning. a big learning curve because you, you take that foundation of working with a small business where you, I think, because I've gone through that, you get this sort of real life MBA almost because you're learning everything, financial, insurance, you know, hiring, regulatory, compliance. Yes. Everything. All of that. Uh-huh. So then you go from that to then uh, gaining more skills in a larger environment that's almost nested into a bigger environment. Yeah. So then you've got all of these. Then you're learning the data-driven side of operations and how to measure metrics against decision-making. Yep. There's all these pieces that are coming together, which then marries really well <laughs> yeah. with the rest of your career. Because now you've got the on-the-ground experience and you've also got the high-level strategic view as well. Totally. And how that relates to your greater customer base. Yeah. I mean, and and I was, you know, organizing photo shoots and, and you know, creating, you know, brochures on the side. <laughs> and learning, learning all about like different marketing channels and you know the the uh, and the lingo and how it translates between different industries and different brands and so it was it was a it was a crazy few years but it was like it changed my life it changed everything mm-hmm. and I, I also think back so often now that I'm in a role a leadership role and I was like I was young and I was like you know I can do anything which I can you know but you know what I mean I was like I had a different mindset I was so much younger and I had I had so much resentment sometimes towards my leaders because of the decisions that they were making yes because I was like you know oh I wouldn't do that or I would do it differently or you know and being in this position now I think back so much to all the levels of leaders that I got to really experience leadership from and realize like man there's there's so much that you don't see from a leadership absolutely there's so much behind the scenes stuff and making all of these decisions some some decisions are so tough and heartbreaking but it's like it's so complex and so i, I think that also just made me want to build better systems to help make better decisions um as a leader you know what i mean like i want to have all of that data and all that input to make the best decisions i can for my team but it's given me a lot of empathy i think too previous leaders as well. Oh yeah. I was I was probably a savage when I was younger. Be like, this is yeah. stupid. Why are we doing this? Yeah. And then you get into that position and you eat like a big piece of humble pie. <laughs> right. You're like, oh. <laughs> okay, so we've got this board that needs these results and we've got these leaders that need to expand to this region. And then we've got this team that we need to grow here with the you know- And also you have this much money and you have this much time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you do it? And you're like, um where do I even begin <laughs> until it becomes a muscle? And that that is something that when I'm I'm mentoring, you know, younger professionals too, I try to give them the out the bigger view of like, okay, so we're really annoyed at this one thing. Like this person hasn't done their standard operating procedure, right? They're dragging their heels. All right, let's zoom out and actually look at what their life is looking like at the job right now and see where we could kind of actually make this happen in a realistic way. Totally. And it's those tiny things that having been on both sides of the equation, I think I'm able to, again, empathize and, and see it differently. Um, now, I got a question for you. So I have a theory that nobody knows about operations because operators suck at explaining what we do. We're really bad at it. We're just bad. Um, now, as someone who is also an expert in marketing, what are like your top two or three recommendations of how we can get better at marketing what we do and explaining to people the importance of it? So I actually feel like one of the ways that I I feel like I've started describing and explaining it more is sort of the the integrator and visionary matchup, um, you know yes. that kind of concept, and um, and really understanding that like 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 for me I'm not coming I'm not an entrepreneur like I'm not going to come in and say like here's the vi- we're going to go here and we're going to do all this great stuff like. It's not that I I couldn't. I just don't. I don't have that d- drive and desire. What I do drive and desire to is like making it happen. I just mm-hmm. want to make it all happen. I want to like figure it out and like problem solve. And it doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to make it happen. And I I think like operations translates in so many industries. And I, there's so many different sort of terms and titles for it because that's what it is. Like I, like I've done a lot of video production. I've done a lot of like marketing and video production. And like, I feel like when I'm doing video production and producing, that's almost the most pure operational like stuff I ever do. Cause it's really like, these are all the things we have to do to film the end. You know, it's very cut and dry and understandable, yeah. but it's like, you're kind of like making the impossible happen. It's like, oh, you need to close off a city street to, to film. I'll, I'll do it. Got it. We'll figure, figure it out. out. I will become a human barricade if we don't get the yeah. permit in time. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So- I would say probably like, you know, the way the way to to market and explain it is like 
we we do all the things you have no idea how to do. Oh. We know how to do all the stuff you don't know how to do. And we know how to explain it to you in data. How to mm. like give you the actual like results of it. Um, I, I think like most operations and project managers that I know are also just like a jack of all trades, like the good ones, like you can jump like, and, and I think working for small, like I know I can jump in and like write copy or I can jump in and like, you know, help build a proposal or go to a sales meeting. But at the end of the day, my sweet spot and my, my most comfortable places when I'm sitting and like building it, like and taking our, our database and like translating it, you know, like, so definitely. So yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know how good of an answer that is. That's a hard Actually, question. That's so. I, I think that's a good answer because when I when I talk to founders, because I also work with small to medium sized businesses, and again, as you get into larger businesses, you have operators that are more specialized, right? right. So they they will do a niche of operations, wh- whatever that may be, financial ops, you know, specifically sales ops, revenue ops. But if you have people like us that are more generalists, the way that I explain it essentially is like. Right now, the pain points that you have in your life, it's my job to figure out how to solve them. Yeah, yeah. And to do it in a way that's compliant, that scales well, and then also allows you to sleep at night better. Yeah, I I actually call it untangling the Christmas lights. So it's like- that's good. As a business, the lights are on, they're blinking, but it's like a big old mess. And like, why why is it working? Let's, Let's untangle the Christmas lights. We can still keep the lights on. But let's make let's like straighten it out and sort it out and figure out the stuff that we're just like winging and like, yes, like make it scalable and replicable and repeatable. Yeah, that uh, image also just gave me chills down my spine. I'm like, I want to <laughs> fix it, but also like it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because who wants it? It's like um, untangling like jewelry that gets t- tangled together. It's like you have to do it. It gets looser over time. It's like you yeah. just kind of have to dig in and start like picking it apart and like finding the gaps and finding the spots you can come in and you know untangle one thing that helps you untangle the next thing you know there's such it's such a um like a a a transformational process but you have to keep the lights on the whole time you're doing it like that's the challenge totally yeah that's it's such a that's such a good i i tell my clients when i'm working with them listen you've got these pain points today that are keeping you up at night if we work together the next six months it's going to get worse before it gets better right because that's what operations and as an operator i have to dig down and see where is the source of this problem and then you know that things are working when you wake up and you don't think about all those problems six, yeah. six months from now and you have a way of processing those things or you have somebody on on your team that's in charge of navigating that it all of a sudden is like uh, you wake up and life is just a bit calmer. Yeah. That's usually the subtle sign that operations is working. Working. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't feel like, oh, I've run past the finish line and like, yes, we've done that. We like, we've launched the product. It's like, that's never that's how I end. felt in operations. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's always just like these little sprints of making things yes. slightly better and giving founders more time back to put their energy where it's most valued. Usually business development, sales, you know, innovation, not the operation stuff that you and I love. Yeah, that's been a huge learning, I think, for me this year too. So so six out storytelling, I work with um, two local entrepreneurs um, and they they're, you know, serial entrepreneurs. They've started lots of different businesses. They're they're really well known uh, locally. And so this was one of my first real like, you know, visionary integrator kind of relationships. And the, the thing I've learned about everything else this year is as the op- as the operators, the operations person, it's your job to shield the CEO. They cannot be in the day to day. I have even if you're small, even if it's out of necessity, it's like that is a super quick duct tape solution. Had a huge learning mm-hmm. that you have to shield them and keep them in the position that's going to like move the company forward always. And uh, it, that's extremely challenging because CEOs are notoriously <laughs> all over the place. So it's, <laughs> yes. You know, not every CEO, but you know, a lot of them, there's a lot of like whiplash and a lot of back and forth. And it's like, sh- like shielding them from the day to day and then shielding everyone else from the whiplash. That's been a huge learning this year, a huge learning with like a lot of failures this year, I think. For me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's um, when I work with so uh, the visionary and the integrator, if any of you are more curious about this, a really good starting place is a book called Rocket Fuel. Oh, yeah. And they even have an assessment for you that's like you can kind of see what ratio you are of each thing. Um, But as a part of that as well, I'm obviously a, a very high integrator. That's where my sweet spot is, too. 
And the the main thing that comes across in that is like visionaries have to do their thing. They yeah. have to be able to have the whiplash, to think about innovation. Right. They have to have a safe space to make those kind of like quick decisions. And we have got to hold it down <laughs> and essentially say, cool, you are really into this idea. Why don't you run at this? But let's not involve the whole team yet because we yeah. we need to we need to not distract them from this thing exactly. Um, it's like being it's like being your true authentic self. If a visionary doesn't have that space to be able to try different things and innovate and throw things at the wall, they're it's not good for them. Uh, but if we don't kind of set that boundary as the integrator, it's not good for us and the rest of the team. So there's that balance. That learning to say no, I think also because I don't feel like I'm a big people pleaser. I feel like I'm kind of um, a hipster. Like I just won't have met, will never not be a hipster. And I like, well, I'm not on trends, but like pleasing the CEO is important to everybody. And so that, that has also been a learning curve of like, it is my job to say, what the hell are you talking about? Like, no. <laughs> Yes. We're not doing that. And I've had a really hard time with that because I also just, you know, like as an integrator want to to help actualize the vision and mission and with, you know, with exactly the way they want it to be. And that's it's just not going to happen. And that's why you're here as an integrator, because the CEO has a vision that they don't have the the intrinsic, you know, strength or ability to execute. So you have to be the firm hand of executing exactly. that vision, which means telling them what are you talking about? Like, you're crazy. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Or well, cool. why don't you maybe. run at that separately? Yeah. There's, I, I will give people a tip, other integrators like you, like you and I, I'll give people a tip. If you're in a meeting, this founder or CEO is talking about something and everybody is quiet. Nobody knows what is happening and nobody <laughs> knows what is going on. That's so so good. your, your job, if a meeting is quiet, is to start asking questions to setting boundaries, right? Like to actually kind of, contextualizing that discussion for them and for the rest of the team. Otherwise, if you have a quiet meeting, I always feel like you leave and people are confused. Yeah. They don't know what they should be working on. They don't know what their North Star is. They don't know because the the founder and the CEO, ultimately, they are like, you know, the final say on things. Right. So if you have a quiet meeting and you're a CEO or uh, an integrator, speak up if something doesn't make sense. Also, I've learned that founders and integrators love when you speak up for the most part, unless they're intensely, you know, tyrannical or something. Right. Like usually they love it. They want to hear that they're being heard and what makes sense and what doesn't, even if they don't say that specifically. So that that's a hard thing I learned this year too. Man, 2023, year of growing and learning. And you were talking about earlier too, like as a leader, I think because I think because I I just fit so much in that integrator space, even though I am very creative and have a marketing background, like I, one thing I'm not good at is articulating my vision. And so that's a big learning I've had this year where I know like if I'm asking you to log your time or if I'm asking you to do this mundane thing, like I know why. I know that it's because, you know, in six weeks I will have this, you know, robust, ar you know, archive of data that I can evaluate and make better decisions are. But I don't, I don't communicate that well. And so like I've had a big learning on that of I have to help everyone else see the forest through the trees. Um, because it's just like mapped out. Like I can see the workflows and I can see, I can see what it looks like. Um, and so it's like, like figuring that out, like how to be a visionary when you're not a visionary and um. when you're working with a visionary who is extremely like profound in their vision, like it's just a lot. Oh yeah. It does also stretch my brain, right? If I'm working with a visionary, we'll be doing something and my brain is like, I cannot compute. I cannot compute. Like usually in my brain, I, in the past, I would have shut it down and just right. say, okay, this doesn't make sense to the operator computer. Now I ask a lot of questions because usually what they're seeing doesn't exist in the world. And it can help me to actually expand my toolbox. Um, and that's the beauty of working with a visionary is that it can force you to come up with different creative solutions that we would have never seen before. Right. So it's not just wrangling them, but it's expanding our view, expanding our ability to see in the future that helps both that that beautiful marriage to happen. Yeah. Now, uh, you and I both have a theater background. Oh, uh, I, I do as well. I didn't do a theater background. Oh, just two theater gals. I love just it. Two theater gals rule the town. Um, so I have lived a lot of my life learning how to tell stories on stage. Uh, 
something I struggle with is bringing stories into the world and into business, which is something that you specialize in uh, as Sixth Avenue Storytelling. So can you talk to us more about what you all do as a business and sort of how you've bridged your past into your present as an operator? Yeah. And this is one of those times I'm going to try and do this. My The CEO, his name is Jamie Ice, his spiel. He's got such a good spiel about this. So, so you know, Jamie started the company and his, his his vision and mission really was to make entrepreneurship easier and to make like growing and running a small business easier. Because like we said, like we said before, when you run a small business, you are everything. You do everything. You are you are the bookkeeper, you're the lawyer, you're the product developer, you're everything. And so, you know, he being a serial entrepreneur kind of came from a background of starting a lot of businesses and working with a lot of different agencies and just never feeling like they got the story, like they never understood the why behind and and his you know entire philosophy of marketing, which I've I've seen now just time over time be incredibly impactful and effective is like people are not buying your product, they're buying you, they're buying your reason why. And so if you can't define your reason why, or if you can't, you know, articulate that not just visually from a brand identity, but but in in language, then you're missing out on your core audience. You're missing out on on exactly who you're trying to reach. And so what we do as a company is we sit down and we do a really, really robust discovery with uh, organizations that they're very emotional. It's very, it's kind of like a therapy session. And we sit down and we're like, why did you want to do this? What what was the point in your life that you know, that the light clicked on. You should, we really, really go really deep and thorough into it. And then we build a huge, huge strategic bank. So we take this entire discovery and rather than just saying like, okay, we're going to build a brand ID and, you know, we're going to build your branding. We're going to build you a website. We say, we're going to build, you know, a 70 page document that is all of the language that you can use across all of your platforms to create brand consistency, but, but also to tell the story of, who you are and why you do it and the challenges your customer facing it it really is a lot like Joseph Campbell you know hero's journey sort of you know posing our customers as the spiritual guide you know like your customers in in crisis and challenge how can you come in and, and save the day? And so I've seen it incre- be incredibly impactful from an organic content perspective. We're starting to really dig in and test out that storytelling like language and methodology in like paid. And like digital media and SEO as well, because again, I think a lot a lot of marketing is like set it and forget it. And I think that's that is ultimately what the challenge was when he was hiring other agencies. Was like, okay, we do all of this on the front end, and then the rest of it is just kind of like, oh, you know, it, it'll it'll roll and it'll be what it'll be. But really, there is like you have to continually represent yourself. You have to continually show your face. Like our, our the clients that we do ongoing social media work for, we do between two and six photo shoots a month uh, where we're going on site. That's to more their than I would have thought. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, it, and you know, it depends on the client. You know, some industries, maybe you don't need as much of that content, but we want to see your face on your website. You want to see your client. You want to see your office space. You want to create, you know, not, not only brand recognition, but like that feeling of comfort when you're when you're reaching out to a brand and when you're engaging with a brand. So we'll do, you know, between two and six photo shoots uh, a month with these clients uh, and really put their face and their story. So we have a, like, for example, we have a couple different um planned communities like neighborhoods with you know housing you know and and uh, event spaces and like you know where where it's all inclusive um and just putting you know everyone's halloween decorations and showing like everybody's really festive and like you know showing the neighborhood police officer like people respond so much because it feels like home and it feels like where they want to be and i i like our engagement rates with our clients are consistently two to three times above industry standards just across the board because of bring, like of cause of bringing that personal touch into it. So it's not necessarily traditionally what I was taught or what, you know, what I learned when I was going through. Um, and, and I, you know, I didn't think that has to evolve and mold with time. But when it comes to telling your story, like really sitting, sitting down and saying, what is my why? What is my mission? What is my true vision? Some of the stuff and exercises that we go through, like at a leadership level in an operational space, like you have to share some of that out. You have to, you know, pull back the curtain and reveal some of that. Otherwise, why would anyone work with you? Why would why would anyone buy it? You know, um, so that's kind of you know the the philosophy behind what we do, and and we really strive to work with 
businesses of all sizes. Like we're not really going after, you know, Coca-Cola and McDonald's and like big ones. We're going, you know, yeah, for the the pizza shop around the corner and the ice cream store and the local, you know, law firm that's like up and coming lawyers. And we want we want to also like build the stories of the city that we live in, which we're in Fort Worth, Texas, which is like this huge, rapidly expand expanding city. You know, we were we're growing all the time. Like face Facebook Meta has come here. Like, you know, like Elon was talking about coming here. Like it's just one of those cities that's starting to boom. And so there's so many amazing entrepreneurs and stories to tell. And and so we really like hone in and focus on that. We try and make our, our pricing accessible as well. Because as a small business, uh, as a small business owner, it's like, you know, saying, hey, you should spend $3,000 a month on ad spend. Like, well, that's that's all I have. Not pos- yeah, that's all I got. So how so how do you do it when you know you you need a website, you need marketing, and you need social media, you need, and you're one person and you have this much money? Like, how do you make it happen? And so that is the I think the continued mission too is finding more ways that we can get these philosophies and get these tools into the hands of small business owners to help their businesses grow, which in turn fosters our community and like grows our city. So. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you because there's uh, an internal battle I have with myself that I think other people, business owners might feel as well. So social media, I think there's a culture of, you know, sharing too much information that should remain personal. Uh, But like you said, sharing your life and sharing, you know, your world as as a business owner is incredibly important to people connecting with you. So how do you marry the resistance I have towards sharing too much information with the knowledge of knowing that if I want to connect with people, which is ultimately my mission, I'm going to have to share something. Like, How do you marry that? And how do you find a happy balance that doesn't leave you feeling like uncomfortable to a degree? I think that is, uh, it's about it's about building all of your messaging on the front end and saying like, when I'm talking about myself, this is how I talk about myself. When we when we talk about our product, this is how we talk about it. And I think there's also room for experimentation. You know, I've seen a lot of social media, like content creators and, you know, um, um, you know, people out there, thought leaders and with a platform who are like, I love to talk about my failures. And it's maybe not something I would have done five years ago or three years ago, but Again, it just brings this humanity into it. So figuring out like, okay, what is my comfort zone of talking about my failures? And then just like creating your boundaries around it. So it's like, it's not like you have to reveal your entire life. That's kind of at your discretion. Um, but but I do think the more comfortable you are being vulnerable, especially with the hard stuff, uh, the more your audience will relate. And that also is about cadence. It's about saying, okay, you know, if we're posting three times a week, white, maybe one of those times it'll be me in my face and I'll be like, hey, we're out here scooping ice cream. Um, and the rest of the times it'll be like about my product, about my company. So I think it's a, it's about creating uh, variety in your content that always has that through line of heart and that through line of mission. It's, it's, it's also very unique, but depending on the person and on the product and what they're selling, you know, what we work with um, locally, uh, some actors and voice actors and stuff, and like their whole lives are on screen. So they're, they're way more comfortable saying, you know, yeah, this is my outfit of the day and this is what I'm wearing and this is what I'm doing. And, and, you know, and people love it because they're a presence versus, you know, maybe working with a wealth management firm, you know, they're, they're like, we don't really need to be in pictures. And it's like, yeah, but seeing you at a conference room, like working with a client, like rather than just a stock photo on your website, like when your client comes in to do a consultant, uh, you know, consultancy with you, they're like, oh, this is exactly what it's like. Like you represented Mm -hmm. exactly who you are. So I think there's a scale and I think there's, it has to be a cadence to it. But, but I think it's, I think it's worth experimenting. I think it's worth pushing past your comfort zone in, in little ways um, and seeing what your audience engage with. And it's always the stuff you never expect. Totally. <laughs> it always is. That, that's the part, too, that I've I've learned that whenever I think, oh, this is going to really hit, this is going to really hit, it doesn't. Like it seven flops. views. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about a story like uh, in October, like when I, my birthday's in October. Now every year uh, we would have a Halloween themed birthday party and have this indestructible pinata that my mom, oh, man. you know, she would always build it every year out of an Avon box. And it was so funny because I was just like kind of riffing on the story. And I can't tell you how many people wrote back and was like, my family also made their own homemade pinata. 
I mean, I had no idea that that was going to echo with anybody because I think it's this like unique childhood memory. But that's the funny part is like if experimenting, throwing things out there, really start to see what things stick. And that is a really good lesson to take away for me as well, which is if you can decide on messaging upfront, you can also be comfortable with the boundaries that you are setting, what you're choosing to experiment with versus what you're choosing to say, hey, this is off limits. Like right. immediately, I think children, people who have kids, certain like even people showing their homes, right? Like these could be things that are just off limits. But to know that up front yeah. and to know, hey, this is another way that we can show the inside of our world without exposing like things that I'm not comfortable with. So that's really helpful. And I think I think it's the I mean, I, I think you can think about operations and building systems the same way. It's like you want to get the system and the, that the routine down and the habit down until it feels like second nature. And then you can start iterating and then you can start experimenting. So it's like it's like if you have it all down up front and everyone's aligned on what the expectations are, you know, with operations, with marketing, with messaging, whatever it is, that's when you can start playing. But I think people want to skip forward to the play part, you know, fast. Yes. You know, so there. But then there's that whiplash when you're constantly playing and you actually don't know how to measure right. the success of your play. <laughs> there's that, too, because you don't have that baseline. So that's also a great tip to take away. Get that baseline. And then from there, you can try different things and you will always have that baseline that you can come back to as well. Um, all right. Well, we could talk for ages. I know we could. We could. We can, um, let's do it again sometime. I let's, we will have to. Okay. We'll have to. Part two. Um, I, for sure. If if uh, we are nearing the end of our time, I wanted to get some information on you as a human being for our audience. Okay. So we're going to do some rapid fire questions well, okay. just to learn more about you. I know. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Um, there relatively easy but again it's just to bring your world to to light so uh first question is what is the favorite part of your day oh man i think my favorite part of my day um is at night um when sometimes my daughter's 13 and she is getting too cool for me (laughs) but he sometimes like wants to come and like snuggle and sleep in my bed and so to me it's like that that point at the end of the night where it's just like everything's quiet and everything's calm and I have my dog and my daughter and we're just in bed and we're just like quiet we're just like listening and hearing I feel like just bringing it all back to like why I do everything that I do it's such a it's such a you know easy reminder and you know it doesn't happen every day like I I have shared custody with my daughter she's not with me all the time Um, but when I have her it's like yep I it was a great day because it ended up here and 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 the days that end up here it's why I do everything that I do you know oh man give me emotional over here okay (laughs) gotta keep it together um what book are you currently reading or what audiobook are you currently listening to man I uh, I am really a really bad reader in the sense that I start a million books and then I like pick them up randomly right now i'm reading scaling people by claire uh, hughes johnson i think i told you about this before yes you did um it's it came out this year and it's it's her you know she has came from google she came from stripe she like built all the systems on stripe and like uh, that book is just it's speaking in a way that i just understand but and it's like presenting concepts from operations and like managing people that i feel like i've always known deep down but no one's ever articulated and i'm just i'm really really loving it so i'm reading that one um and then i always try and read like a horror book right now (laughs) i love horror i'm really into horror and so i'm reading this i have to look it up because it's like a weird dumb name it's a bunch of short stories um that's great though i'm a thriller gal are monsters you? i'm a thriller gal yes and i do love scary movies those are my two favorite things and scary stories if you ever listen to like podcasts i love scary podcasts. stories do you have a favorite scary story podcast that you like uh yes snap judgment is absolutely excellent I love, um spooked yes, yes it is so good i've listened to it for years they are scary too they, they are, are so scary, scary. They're very scary. Um, yeah, so I would recommend that. Okay. I love how I, I also listen to Radio Rental, too. I don't know if you listen to that one. Oh, I know. I need to get into that, too. One. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what is the best purchase you've made under $50? Oh, my gosh. What a good question. 
Oh man, this is, I feel like this is an easy question. And I think, think people would argue with me, but my Revlon hair dryer, that's like the round brush hair dryer. Yes. They've always had really long, thick hair and like it takes forever to dry. And like that tool changed my life. It just, I went from like, I just gained time back from it. And I think, and I got it on sale. I think I got it for like 25 bucks. And that's like, I know the Dyson air wrap is out. I know people are really into that, you know, this new fancy one, but I'm kind of like, I'm a brand loyalist. I'm like, I'll buy it forever. Change my life. Well, and having come from the world of salons and all of that, that actually speaks miles because I'm sure you've had a lot of different experiences with tools there. Yeah. And I feel like I got really good at like doing my own blowouts and like, you know, I know how to do all that stuff. So yeah, to be able to like shave the time down and do it in, you know, 20 minutes, like game, total game changer. So I'm with you. If you could go back to the beginning of your career, Mm -hmm. what is a piece of advice that you would give your past self? Yeah, and this is a question that I I talk with mentors about all the time. Actually, I I know my answer to this. So if I could go back to when I was starting my career, the thing I would really say to myself is number one, love yourself and trust yourself as soon as you possibly can. Like let go of all of this. I'm not good enough, and I'm not worthy, and I'm not pretty enough, and I'm not smart enough. Like it's total bullshit, and nobody else thinks that. And the minute that you let go of all of that insecurity, like your life literally opens up. And it changes and like that if i could go back and tell my younger self anything i would just shake her and be like you're you're great like you're awesome just like get over it you know my god what is this rapid fire question section it's way too emotional sage please um what is something that just makes you little kid happy oh little kid happy um i really love uh cannolis and when i see them at the store i get really like giggly and excited about them (laughs) and my my daughter thinks it's really funny when i just show up with cannolis because i feel like she's like mom why are you doing like what's your deal with cannolis but i feel like there's just something about the shape it's kind of like you know silly and and they just taste i don't know it just feels like a special sweet treat that's just for me (laughs) i live in texas we're not really like here They're, they're they're kind of hard to find you kind of have to like so when I see them, I'm like, we're buying cannolis today. <laughs> Dozen cannolis. We're taking it home. I just want to eat cannolis for dinner. Yeah. Really into cannolis. I will tell you, cannoli, cannolis, my life changed when I learned about the cannoli dips. Oh, yeah. I have not of, done that yet, but oh, it looks so good. Have oh, you done it? My, have you done it? I have. So my husband's Italian from Jersey, and that's a big thing. And essentially, instead of having the cannoli filling in the filling, you have like a big dip of it. And then you have the chip part of the cannoli yeah. and you just dip it like a salsa. And it is, okay. my mouth is watering thinking about it. And I'm really sorry. We maybe, like I, need maybe, to... uh, maybe that's going to be my girl dinner this week. I'm just going to eat some cannoli too. <laughs> that sounds fabulous. And I, I will tell you, it is all worth it. Give it a try. Okay. That's, uh... <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, of course. Uh, last question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've been thinking about this one a lot lately because my daughter's getting older and I'm like, she's going to graduate from high school. Who, what do I want to do? I think, I think how I want to be is, is just like happy and helping people. Like, and, and I think, I think that's why I'm in operations. I think that's why I kind of do what I do. I just want to like help other people like achieve their dreams and facilitate their dreams. Um, and I just want to be really happy doing it. I also would love to be like, maniacally rich <laughs> when I grow up. So that is the goal. Um, and I think, I think too, you know, like I had my daughter really young and, um, you know, I, I, I've been really like head into my career and like heads down and like getting stuff done. And I never like had a college experience of like living in a dorm or like, you know, kind of like really moving out on my own. I never had that. So I do think when she graduates, I want to like experience that a little bit, like go like be a nomad, like a digital nomad for a little bit and like, you know, go and do the things I didn't really do when I was younger, you know, with more money. <laughs> more, yeah. more I'm just like, going to take that maniacally rich. Better that decision is- making. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, now, if people are listening to you and they're like, I want to connect with Higher Women Week, uh, Sixth Avenue Storytelling, and Sage as a Human Being, where can people find you? So LinkedIn is definitely the best place to to grab me. I know you'll put that link in there. Um, yep. And then Higher Women Week uh, is higherwomenweek.com. And registration is open right now. Um, that, you know, once that event is all over, that website is still up, but you can visit us at Ladybird Talent for the rest of the year. And we have LinkedIn, Instagram, um, and, you know, a website there. 
And then sixappstorytelling.com, especially if you're, you know, you're a small business, you're, you're looking for that kind of like marketing and, and storytelling support, you know, that's, we're here, we're ready, we want to do it. So sixappstorytelling.com. Yeah. And we'll include all of those in the description for y'all. Sage, it's so fun. I just, I feel like the, the inner theater kid in us just really connects and I'm grateful for your knowledge and for really having such an amazing North Star and getting women hired and empowering them um, in their career. So thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, for real, let's do a part two because we could talk for hours and hours. We yeah. could. We could. Um, <laughs> to all the wonderful Secret Ops listeners, thank you so much for listening, of course. Uh, also, we are now on YouTube. So if you are a visual learner like me, you can find us at Ariana Cafone on YouTube. Otherwise, uh, please subscribe and check us out uh, next time. Thanks. Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that. Check out our monthly Secret Ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.